Hey, Charlie, you're the first of the heavyweights to come in. We've got well, the uh, three of you I'm, back. The, the last one went really viral. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. It was a great team. And you know, it's funny. Since then, I have recorded David and Jay for Macroaggressions. And this Sunday, you're, you're the guest on Macroaggressions. Your episode cool. is coming out. Yeah, cool. So Thank we're you. just I'm just working right through the whole crowd here. <laughs> but, Before uh, we deconstruct Klaus Schwab and the WEF, do you want to just remind the viewers about your mission, Charlie? <laughs> my my mission, <laughs> should I choose to accept it, is to try and bring <laughs> sanity back into this world. It is not going well. I assure you. <laughs> now I write. <laughs> I write books. I've written three books, The Octopus of Global Control, The Controlled Demolition of the American Empire, and Hypocrisy, Surviving in a World of Cultural Double Standards. So I wrote books, would go out on podcasts to promote the books, and eventually that just turned into my own podcast, Macroaggressions, and uh, that goes out twice a week. And uh, once as an audio or once as an interview, once as a monologue, it goes out in audio format. It goes out in video format. So people that are interested, they can go get it. It's free. You can, you know, just listen to it at your leisure. So I was watching the Patrick Bet David podcast today and they were talking about old Klaus and they showed this clip where Klaus said because of A, B and C, the world now is at the at the point where the whole world's going to get wiped out, really. And, and they were like, he sounds like one of those preachers where if you don't do what I say, you're going to burn in hell. Sign up for my belief system or you're going to burn in hell for eternity. Do you, do you think that's a good analogy? It's not too far off. I mean, you got to have good, You got we're out because you got to have good hair for it. You're right. You got to have good hair and you got to, you know, do the whole thing. Look, there's a, there's a big overlap between organized religion and organized government you've got to believe absurdities in some cases to in order to get on board with the program and if you are not on board with the program they have ways to make you get on board with the program and that's the that's the devious part so i'm always uh i'm always concerned about um you know i, I mean i think it's funny that 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 uh that religion, you know, the idea, the concept of like this religious preacher who's going to you know you can't talk to god but I can talk to God and I'll talk to him and I'll tell him what you said, you know, but you got to give me money. And then you go and you hear Klaus and Klaus is like, the world's going to end. And you're like, Oh my God, really? Well, how he's like, well, it's very complicated and I could explain it to you, but what I'm going to need you to do is I'm just going to need you to give me a, a bunch of money and get on board with the plan. And then I, I promise I'll explain it to you later. You're like, it just sounds very sketchy. The whole thing. <laughs> So what, what's happening last week? These guys have had a meeting, have they, these psychopaths? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get together. I mean, well, they also had the hookers flown in. We saw, we saw that, right? <laughs> because you can't have a good conference. I mean, yeah, I listen, I lived in Vegas for 10 years. We all know that when, the, when, when, when big conferences, Consumer Electronics Show comes to town, wink, wink, we know what that means. And when the World Economic Forum flies into Davos for their big meeting, you know, the same thing happens too. But it really at, at its core, what these guys are trying to do is they're, <laughs> They're trying to reimagine society. They want them in charge. They want uh, you to be very afraid of something, whatever that is. You know, we'll tell you what it is later, but it's you're definitely going to have to be afraid of something. And, and once you're afraid of that something, then the best way for you to fight it is to not really dig into it too much, but just outsource your critical thinking to someone else. Don't, don't, bother, don't bother really digging deep into this, but you have to be afraid you need to give up your rights and you need to pay more in taxes. And if you do those things, then you're going to be fine. But if you, if you don't, then this whole process is going to take even longer. We're going to have to start from the beginning and, 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 and this whole thing's just going to take forever. So, so wear your masks and pay your taxes and eat the bugs and do all the things we tell you to do in this whole, pro this whole thing, this raping and pillaging will be over a lot quicker if you just do what we told you to do. <laughs> What do you think about Rob Carey's observation? Distraction keeps you arguing about topics they give you so you stop asking the real questions. Boy, it's just that's just exactly what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, if they they know we're going to argue and fight about something. 
So they throw out, this is the, the limited hangout component, right? They throw out like the, some small issue that doesn't really matter one way or the other. And we can, we're allowed to fight vigorously about that issue. But if you get outside of that issue and you start talking about the other things, the issues they don't want you to talk about, then you get silenced and demonetized and thrown off of platforms. And they try to paint you as, as a, as a kook. But, but really, if you boil it down, it's just, you got, you want to, I want to ask different questions than the media wants to ask. That's all. That's really what it boils down to. And you see these guys from like Rebel News and in, in Canada doing a doing a good job of chasing chasing these maniacs down on the streets and saying, well, you know, who they say, well, what, what news organization are you with? They say, well, I'm with an independent broadcasting. And they just laugh because they know that means nothing to them. And that's the only place where you're going to actually get the conversations to happen is with independent journalists because they'll ask the questions that won't get them invited back next year you know whereas the corporate controlled media is going to ask them an acceptable line of question what do you think about the um you know what steps have you put in place at this meeting to make sure that the the temperature of the planet doesn't go up a, a half a degree and they say well we've had all these great meetings and we put all of these proposals and we've we've talked about x y and z and we've got this great new plan and it's gonna you know and so you're allowed to talk about that stuff all day long you're not allowed to talk about why the farms are going away and why there's um and why we're you know we're all just so i my legs are killing me sean from standing with ukraine for this whole year you know like can i sit down now can i sit with ukraine is that possible you know, so so the whole thing is 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 crazy uh-oh who there he is. Right. We got powerhouse number two, David Whitehead on the screen. Thank you for coming on, brother. Hey, Sean. Just... How's it going? Hey, boys. Thanks hey. for having me back. Yeah, the last thing we did, man, it, it went mental. People are like, you got to get these guys back on ASAP. Can you just remind the viewers about what you do, David? Uh, well, I talk about a lot of stuff over on my podcast. You can get everything that I do over at dwtruthwarrior.com. Uh, I do weekly shows. I also host a show called Earth Chronicles with my good friend Josh Reed, which is going to start after this show, actually, over on Badlands Media, which is a new hopping media on Rumble. And then I'm working on a documentary series called Cult of the Medics. Uh, it's available for free, and people can check that out at cultofmedics.com. And that's a deep dive into all this stuff with the Great Reset the globalist agenda, the medical system, and actually getting into the world of the occult uh, when it comes to the history of that system. So I do a bit of everything, and I'm just a guy trying to find out, you know, what's the truth, what's going on, and uh, what can we do to save ourselves from all this tyranny that's happening more and more every day. So what is your take on this recent Davos meeting? Well, I was really happy to see and glad Charlie was bringing it up as I jumped in. I overheard he was talking about Rebel News, which is one of our Canadian alternative media organizations here. I'm glad they had some uh, journalists on the ground to start getting mics into these people's faces. Um, we've had some interesting things happen. I wasn't expecting Trudeau not to show up to this because he absolutely loves to be part of this clique. And uh, I'm wondering what's what's really going on, because right now he's in Hamilton. And there's basically a trucker convoy that met met up with wherever he was going out for dinner. And there's literally hundreds of people with Canadian flags just shouting at him. So Trudeau can't walk the streets in this country anymore. I don't believe, I'm not sure if Macron made it to the Davos meeting or not. I heard that he didn't, but I, I didn't follow it closely enough. Um, Schwab, we thought at first that he wasn't going to go, but it turned out he did go. George Soros didn't make it. Um, he had some kind of a scheduling conflict, apparently, probably another globalist meeting he had to attend to, who knows, put out some fires. Uh, but yeah, getting the journalists that are out there, you know, putting their camera in front of uh, Bourla, the head of Pfizer, who I couldn't help but notice the other day, uh, he was sitting in the same interview booth as Bill Gates, when Bill Gates a few years back was being interviewed and talking about how vaccines were his biggest cash cow investment ever. Um, and so I thought it was really kind of ironic in a dark, twisted way that they had Borla sitting there getting interviewed in the exact same booth. And he's standing there saying, yep, there's no problems at all. It's all good. This is safe and effective and everything. And you're just like, oh, my God, he has to lie at this point. 
Um, and then he's yeah, in the champagne room. That's where they do that interview in the <laughs> champagne room where they, where they just make it rain on him. They just make it rain. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and so I guess what we're seeing is a lot more uh, of this stuff just coming out to the surface. I'm happy to see it because now I've got friends of mine who never looked at this stuff that are messaging me and going, dude, like I used to think you were crazy talking about all this like world government <laughs> stuff and crazy conspiracy stuff. And like, it's happening. They're saying it out loud. I'm like, I know I've been trying to tell you this for years, but Hey, it's, this is the time. I think the world economic forum is losing its stock. I think everybody's kind of catching on to it. It's kind of a joke at this point and we should treat it as a joke and we should laugh and uh, keep pointing the cameras at these people and just let them be themselves. They're doing a great job waking everybody up for us. Eh? Hey, Jay, thanks for coming back so soon. Can you just tell the viewers a little bit about you and what you think of the recent Davos meeting? Yeah, thank you. Uh, glad to be back. Um, I'm Jay Dyer. I do a lot of movie analysis, did a lot of geopolitical analysis. Uh, <clears throat> just uh, um, got back from uh, being on TimCast. You can go check that out if you want on YouTube. Um, yeah, I think Davos this year was kind of a... a a failure because uh you know they've had so much attention there's been so many clips uh, i think the most damaging thing has been people just taking these little clips putting them across social media of all the goobers at davos saying and and just putting out the most outlandish stuff uh you know tony blair who's himself a fabian socialist by by confession saying that we need to have tracking and tracing for everybody in every aspect of life one of these other guys saying that we need to uh track and trace everything that you eat keeping up with your your carbon footprint in terms of your food uh and your internet uh, access and what you look at all the stuff that it's all and he says we're gonna be rolling this out now so i think that what's happened is that they've seen so much bad publicity in the last year in terms of the the internet that a lot of people didn't show up a lot of people were hesitant about it because it looks bad but they're just gonna there's they'll just create some other thing right they'll just make some other thing if davos loses steam and it'll be the exact same thing but all the same people just under some other name or they'll just have other secret meetings right over to charlie to add on to that then well they do have these as as jay mentioned they do have these these other uh groups that they go to maybe that's where, like like david said maybe that's where uh, soros was he was held up he had to get to Aspen Institute or he had to get to Bilderberg or wherever, you know, I mean, these things are only hidden to the extent that we choose not to go looking for them. But they're for the most part out in the open. This has been going on for a long, long time. I think the first time people got an idea that these lunatics get together in in in, in private to discuss these things was watching the the um, Bohemian Grove, Alex Jones video, you know, be, them sneaking in and seeing the Moloch and all that stuff. And people are, what is this? So we know it's there. It is cartoonish for sure. But but that hides a very serious uh, undertone that's that's happening, which is that these guys, you know, it's one thing if the four of us just go out to a bar tonight, and we get drunk and we start talking about how we're going to take over the world and depopulate and everything. We would go home after that. And then none of that would happen because we're not in a position to make those things happen. But these people, unfortunately, are in a position to make maybe not everything, but a lot of the things that they're talking about happen. They have these networks established. So it makes them far more dangerous than the rest of us uh, because, because not only can they have these fantasies of world takeover, but they're also positioned to start to do something about it. And I think that's what separates the, the wannabes from the, from the real players in this industry is that we, you know, it's one thing to just joke with your buddies about how you're going to, you know, how it would be so much easier for traffic if we had less people. It's quite another thing to institute a policy where you're reducing food supplies to people in order to make that a reality. David, then what is your interpretation of the media response to the summit? Well, I mean... The media response, uh, I take everything they do now with a grain of salt. I mean, we've learned our lesson, right? But it is a weird thing. They have to cover it, but they obviously have to slant it in a certain way. And that's why more and more people aren't even going to watch the news to learn about this stuff. They're going to alternative networks. Uh, they're probably watching more Tucker Carlson and some of these guys. But there's even better analysis out there that people are finding on platforms where 
there isn't as much censorship and people are actually having conversations like this. I mean, does the news media sit down and have these kind of deep conversations and pull in all these threads and offer all kinds of uh, sources and books to read and information and put links in the description? They don't do that. They just repeat the 4 a.m. talking points that they're handed from the top of the food chain um, if they do report on it. You can sometimes get data from the media. So that's what I like to do is take the data and then put it out. And another thing I like doing is actually finding mainstream media reports where they start to admit certain things. Like they won't put the whole context for you, but they'll admit certain things or they'll feature a video with some guy saying something like, oh, uh, gene editing. And we've just did this with mice. And now we're going to start doing it with actual humans or whatever. And they'll report on it. And then our job is to take it and go, all right, let's put this in the context of what they said at the end that wasn't included in the report, which is that they're not just doing experiments trying to change the color of mice fur. They're doing genetic editing because they ultimately want to be able to genetically edit human beings, right? So, and they're saying that also, like, what's his name? Yuval Harari Ferrari. He's out there saying, uh, that's exactly what we want to do. We want to edit. Uh, we're going to be editing your brains. We're going to be editing your genes. We're going to be editing, uh, you know, every way part of your life. We're going to reset the world and we're going to reset you, you know? So the media is saying this stuff more and more, but you know, they're the lap dogs. They are basically run by three or four major corporations, a handful of very powerful investing firms, and basically the same people. They're all extensions of this Davos clique. Uh, but I think it also even goes well beyond uh, the, those guys that we see in the surface. Um, but we should pay attention to the media just because sometimes they are admitting things that you can catch them on. And then that's very powerful to hand to some of your, your more normie friends that are still just kind of coming out of the days. And you can say, hey, it wasn't me that said it. It wasn't at conspiracytheory.com or wherever you think we get stuff. This is from Reuters. This is from the Associated Press. This is from CBC News. Uh, they're starting to say it like, does that maybe interest you into looking deeper into it than obviously the media is ever going to tell you. So Jay, what's your interpretation of the media around Davos? Uh, the media is uh, running these pieces that it doesn't exist as a conspiracy. And uh, it's, it, I saw a great headline. It said uh, world leaders fly to Davos for summit conspiracy theorists claim it's to run the world. So the world leaders are flying to Davos to meet. They lead the world, but it's not a it's not a conspiracy to control or lead the world. I mean, it's like the the gaslighting is in full effect from all the articles I've seen. I would like to play this as a little brief clip of this guy from Davos if you want to get an idea of what. So here he is. Here's here's Mr. Davos guy here, and here's what he technology and ability for consumers to measure their own carbon footprint. What does that mean? That's where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So individual carbon footprint tracker. Hmm. Stay tuned. We don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. So there you go. Everything that you do, controlled, rationed, rationing. I mean, are we in wartime? I guess we are. The war is the elites against the people. And then when you're in wartime, you get you get food rationing. And so this is all austerity, and that's uh, the, the media just gets out there and lies and acts like the, the, none of this exists, even though everybody can look at the clips that go viral, millions of views on, on Twitter, all the other uh, platforms, uh, Instagram, of people from Davos saying that we're going to enslave you, you're going to be locked down again. And I think uh, what's – well, you didn't ask about what's coming, but I think uh, – I mean, that's what the, – the media is just there to lie and act like none of this exists and gaslight you. Charlie, could you give us some more about carbon footprint planning and also on uh, David's, uh, if you could add to David's transhumanism, genetic manipulation of the brain thing as well? Well, they would love to be able to control your your thoughts and <laughs> um, they're damn close to it. They've already got you believing uh, impossibilities through the media, but that's not quite enough. I mean, if they can get you, if they can actually get somebody on the inside a chip on the inside to manipulate your brain they they most definitely will and part of what they want to do is with this manipulation is manipulate the your behavior it's behavior modification it's train dog training here they want to train us a, a variety of ways but one of the ways is you know if you do a good job you get a treat and if you don't do a good job you don't get a treat and the treat is food 
(laughs) and they will ration it. They've talked about breaking this down. I had a a conversation with Celeste Solom about this, who used to work at FEMA years ago. And she was talking about how there's documentation about how these organizations want to micromanage you down to selling you individual calories. Like that's what they're talking about down to the, to just the caloric basics of, of, of how they quantify that and measure it and then just determine what the allotment is for you. Just the bare minimum to keep you, uh, keep you going and keep you on board. So there we go. Davos speaker calls for (laughs) 1 billion people to stop eating meat for, yeah, for innovation, for the health of the health of the planet. I wonder which 1 billion people are going to stop having to eat, eat meat. Is it them? I doubt it. I really doubt it. They will be dining on human flesh. No, no, no question after this whole thing is over, but, but they really do see the problem that a lot of people have with this is that it requires you to allow your mind to go to a really bad place. And people just don't want to think about that. Or they just go, that sounds crazy. None of us here are denying that this, sounds crazy. It all sounds crazy. That is, that is confirmed, but don't let that discourage you from digging a little deeper because just, just cause it sounds crazy. doesn't mean it isn't happening. These guys write about it. They talk openly about it. They have meetings in Davos where they plot it and plan it. They have computer technology. They have partnerships with Silicon Valley. That's making the, the concept of, of, uh, breaking down social credit scores and, and, and managing the food intake of people. It's all going digital. This is what they're, they've been talking about this for a long time, swallowing the RFID chips and managing the process of taking medicines and we can track you. So of course you'll get the sales pitch for how this is going to save somebody. It's going to save their life. It's going to make them, you know, whatever, whatever that is. But the, but like David mentioned, you've got to, you know, you take the just the soundbite clip that the media puts out, and then but you've got to listen to the whole conversation because at the end, that's where the that's where the real meat is when they sit when they start talking about the things that don't wind up on sixty minutes or or in on your nightly news as a little fun soundbite about how they're going to we're working on mRNA technologies to cure cancer. And everyone goes, That's great. But they don't talk about the part where the mRNA technology is killing people. They just, they just leave that out. So it's, it's kind of up to us to learn how to decipher what they're talking about and, and, and make sure that we get all, as much of the information as, as we can, uh, because these guys definitely have a plan and, um, and it's, it's not good for us, unfortunately. Huge thank you to all the viewers jumping on. The viewership has just been rising steadily on this subject since we've got our free heavy hitters on. So if you do have a question, whether you're watching on Facebook, YouTube, wherever, in the world, put it in the comments or the chat and we'll get it to the panel. And I'll give the first one to David. It's from McCaw67. Do you guys have any thoughts or ideas on how we, the people, are going to overcome this tyranny? Uh, I think that's the question, right? That's the question we've all been sitting with as we've watched this unfold. That's the question that uh, the moment I even started researching any of this stuff years ago, uh, I immediately started to think about that because that's what that's what you want to do. You see this problem. You see this growing around you and you're trying to think of a way out. And um, all you can do is what what one person can do for now, which is continue to inform yourself, uh, work on your what you can do, like what is within your power to do. For me, it was start a podcast, start interviewing people, start doing research, start presenting that research and just trying to spread awareness because I realized like I come from I'm in Canada. And anybody familiar with what happened here with the whole trucker convoy and they were freezing people's bank accounts and taking on political prisoners that hadn't actually broken any laws. Like they put people in solitary confinement under mischief. That was all they had on them was just mischief. And then they're in solitary confinement, you know, and these are like grandmas and just average people. So you sit there and you go, how could I, as a Canadian, uh, stop what Justin Trudeau and his entire cabinet, which are just all puppets working for globalists like these Davos people. Uh, that's w- what they're doing to my country. Like, what does one man do? Well, what one man did to start the entire trucking convoy was one trucker got in and said, uh, guys, we're the ones that bring the food everywhere. We're the ones that are the distribution lines. Let's just, we should protest because that could really send a message to Ottawa. And 
even though it didn't like fully succeed, it succeeded in showing the rest of Canada that the people that were out there weren't alone. So I said, okay, go out and find other like-minded people that are aware of what's going on. And right now in Canada, I can tell you, and even in uh, on the island where I live in British Columbia, there are lots of groups getting together that are just trying to form community of, uh, especially when we were literally being like almost, it was, felt like we were being hunted down almost in Canada for a while because of our jab status. And so people rallied together. They started making these little potluck groups, exchange groups, uh, you know, just getting together with other people and sharing ideas. And it encompassed people from all walks of life. So you start with yourself. You start with, you know, especially when it comes to your health, take care of your health. Your mental health is essential because you're no use to anybody if you're a basket case or you're too worn out or you're depressed or freaked out all the time. So work on that um, and then find others like you and do what you can. I've also been making an appeal to insiders uh, on almost every show. So because I know more and more people from the inside, from within these organizations, the media, the government, the police services, the military, the intelligence services everywhere, Hollywood even. A medical community, more and more of these people are starting to come forward with what they know. And uh, because with this whole Davos World Economic Forum thing encompasses so many different things and so many different scams rolled into one, you're getting people coming forward from different areas. And that's what we need as well is to keep encouraging people that do know things and know that this is wrong to come out and know that they're not just going to be all alone that they have a support network all over the world of millions of people that are waking up, that are trying to do what they can. And nobody has the silver bullet. Nobody has the final answer, but sitting back and just watching it. Um, it, it I just, I feel like we can do, we can do better. We can get more information out to people. Like Jay was saying, those little clips, the people that are making those little tiny clips and sending them out and they're going viral they're doing a service, uh, just that. Like that's one thing somebody can do, sharing a show like this so that people can watch information that they're not getting because of the algorithm blocks or the fact that the media isn't talking about this stuff. Uh, getting books out there, uh, getting conferences together. There's a lot of groups putting on conferences and uh, people are really, it's getting the creativity of humanity to come out right now in the face of tyranny. It's what happened during the world wars. It's what's happened throughout history. And throughout history, just remember, it was never the masses of people that ever turned the tide. Never, never, never. In fact, the masses of people are usually the ones taking us over the edge of the cliff. Um, it's always small groups of empowered individuals that have knowledge of what's going on, that have the, the spirit of freedom within them, that are using their creativity in that moment of calamity to bring forward solutions. And so I don't know what the final answer is. But I was doing a show recently called The Fear of Freedom, and I was trying to do like a psychoanalyst. I brought in the work of Erich Fromm and some other thinkers on why people gravitate towards tyranny, why people might actually be petrified of freedom and might actually be calling these tyrants into being. And so what that is, is to say, maybe this means that the solution is starts with every single one of us. Like freedom is an inside job. It's not on a piece of paper. We got to build an inner constitution. Because if we don't have that uh, real understanding of freedom and why it's valuable and how to maintain it, then uh, we'll take care of these tyrants and they'll be replaced with a new batch of tyrants the next week, right? So uh, we have to change. We have to become aware and we have to want to live free if we're ever going to have a shot at it. All right, Jay. So Global is asking about a backlash against Google. Have you heard anything along those lines? Promoting uh, chat GBD to all countries, Bill Gates planning pandemic with eggs and DNA. Well, I mean, we know that Bill Gates has had this tendency to try to buy up, you know, all the farmland in the United States. He, he owns a lot of the <clears throat> solutions that are then uh, presented after the problems, which is the, the problems that the system creates. Then they offer the solutions. This is a classic model of like big scale con men. You know, the Rockefellers did this where create a problem and then you offer the solution uh there's that movie american hustle you know with jennifer lawrence where they bash out all the windows and then the next day the guys that that own the uh, the glass company come by and say oh you got a broken window well, maybe we could fix it uh <laughs> you know the the 
I don't know about, I haven't seen a backlash against Google yet, but um, I'm not too worried about the chat GPT thing. I think that's a bunch of propaganda in, in my view. I mean, it could be uh, something uh, dangerous in the future, but I mean, they asked it about me and it was like saying the most ridiculous things, like not even close to what I talk about. So uh, one thing that's encouraging is I was at this event uh, over the weekend and Got to meet a, a lot of really cool people. So you look, you see this. This is thousands of people at a live event. And guess what she's up there talking about? Uh, somebody we just met, Mel Kay. She's up there talking about Epstein, Jeff Stein, Effrey, Elsa. <laughs> uh, and that's thousands of people in a giant auditorium hearing all of that. So that was encouraging wow. to me. I went to this event not knowing what was going on or what they were talking about. Uh, met some really, met, got to meet Dr. Peter McCullough. But they're up there talking about real stuff to thousands of people live and that's what you know uh, uh we were talking about here on the on this show was you know how can you fight against this live events keep sharing these clips share this show share our shows follow us share the books uh, i mean people do still read books out there um yeah i mean uh, move out to the country get uh, some land get some gold get some bitcoin get some guns i mean that's what i would say that's how you, that's how you stand up to this <laughs> Charlie Imogen has sent a question in about your opinion on why people are being discouraged from eating meat and what's going on with farmland. Well, Jay mentioned this, that Bill Gates has been buying up farmland in, in America for a long, long time, but he's also done a, a, also the solution to that is, well, we've got to have more natural seeds. We got to, we got to get away from these GMO seeds and that produce GMO crops. And we've got to get to the real seeds and the real farms and everything. And, and guess who financed the building of the Svalbard seed vault in Norway, 1100 kilometers South of the North pole, none other than the Rockefeller foundation, Monsanto, Syngenta, and oh, actually Monsanto was in it. Syngenta was in and the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates foundation. Now this is a seed vault that is 400 feet up a mountain and then 300 feet inside the mountain. It's been hollowed out. It has millions of organic, original, actual, real seeds. They're all stored away there by Bill Gates and the Rockefeller Foundation. Ah, uh, that's a lie. It's just a large freezer. It's just a large freezer, Charlie. You're out there lying. It's spreading disinformation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a large freezer with all the real seeds while the peasants get to eat the fake gmo seeds that grow <laughs> everywhere else so so this is a again like it seems disjointed if you if you're not paying attention to the bigger picture it, it might seem like well bill gates just has he's diversifying his portfolio you know he's got a lot of money in tech stocks and you don't want to have it all there if there's a crash so you buy land that makes sense right and you go yeah that does make sense but when your entire existence is that of depopulation, which is Bill Gates, and your entire reason for being on this planet is to depopulate humanity, then I don't look at it like Bill Gates is diversifying his portfolio for financial reasons. I look at it as an agenda. And I think it's reasonable to do that because then you start to say, well, he's not just invested in farmland and he's not just in invested in uh, you know, in, in Monsanto, which he was the largest individual sh shareholder of the company that makes, you know, was the lead in the genetically modified uh, organism industry. But he's also runs a biomilk. He, he runs a, an incubator, a venture capital company that invests in a variety of other companies, one of them being biomilk, which is fake synthetic milk, which is really weird that he was investing in that right around the time that we were having baby formula crisis around the world. But I'm sure that's just a gigantic coincidence as well. He's invested in lab grown meat. He's invested in all of the things that you would be investing in if you were trying to move society away from eating actual food and eating synthetic foods, I mean, he is quite literally one step away from opening up a cricket processing facility, which I wouldn't put it past him. The day's not over yet. There's still time, you know, but this is an agenda. And, and once you sort of pull on this thread a little bit, you'll find that it is deep connections all over the place. So it's important for us to not, you know, look, it, it's easy to be dismissive of this stuff and say it's just you conspiracy theorists having your ideas and everything. But but really what it does is it's it's dot connecting 
as David Icke, as, as, as our mutual friend David Icke says, you know, it's, he's dot connector. He's like, I'm not coming up with these ideas. I'm just connecting these dots everywhere. Bill Gates is just a series of dots everywhere connected to all sorts of things. So look, it's, it doesn't make you crazy for, for, for recognizing this. It just makes you observant. David, these synthetic foods then, are they part of this program of DNA alteration? Yeah, that's, I agree. I think that's what it is. Ultimately, um, everything is turning into something that's fake, artificial, man-made, lab-created. Um, and part of that process might even be because this is about patenting your genetic code. At a, so if you can alter something out of, out of nature into some kind of uh, like, say you take a natural plant, like I can't patent a plant that grows in my backyard that might have curative properties to it. Um, so what pharma does and what this whole industry does is they take natural elements and they mix it all together and they patent whatever the result is. A lot of artificial and synthetically created ingredients get mixed in. And now that's something they can profit off of. That's how they make it. Um, so they want to genetically modify us. They're saying it. So part of that is you have to do that by, I call it, uh, adjusting the fish, the, the, the water in the fish tank, right? Imagine we're all living in a fish tank. You don't have to go to every individual fish to genetically alter them. You just have to change the pH balance of the water of the entire fish tank. And then it, it achieves the result globally for you. So, um, that's one aspect. The other thing is, this is just about control. At the end of the day, these people are control freaks. And the reason they're trying to create a synthetic artificial world is because these people have cut themselves off. Clearly, they've cut themselves off from their organic nature and they see salvation in the scientific lab and under the microscope and in the supercomputers and in this transhumanist agenda, because that's what this is. And so essentially, these people have sort of like a cult like belief in this. It's their religion. And they look at this as the salvation. And they're just saying, well, the whole world has to go along with this because it's the only way. It's the same thing they did with the jab. If you want to survive the boogeyman, you have to take this one seasoned approach to addressing it. We don't want to deal with natural holistic uh, solutions that could easily deal with this. We want to pigeonhole you into a pharmaceutical product that had to get emergency use authorization um, under only because we don't have anything else we could use. And yet we're finding out that this is altering humans on uh, that mRNA genetic level. That's the concern. And even if people were to say, no, it doesn't, it doesn't, not this one. They're openly talking about how the future of these mRNA technology will achieve that. So whether you think they're doing it with this or whether you think they're down the pipeline, it doesn't really matter. Uh, the food, it starts with the food, the air, the water and the environment. And then the last thing I'll say on this is part of this, too, is a pipe dream for these people. OK, I don't. There are people out there that would say everything they're saying with transhumanism and the genetically modified organisms and all that is just a pipe dream. They'll never achieve what they're bragging they're going to achieve with it. But if that's true, then a lot of this could also be part of the psychological warfare campaign to keep everybody, including us, uh, up against the ropes. So we're always, oh, my God, well, they're going to genetically modify us. They're going to implant us with chips, which is what they want to do. But there's something that happens on the psychological level that they're trying to program. If they can't program you genetically, they're trying to program your consciousness, your mind, uh, and make you think like a robot and make you think like a genetically modified organism instead of that natural organic human that you are. So this is uh, truth against the world. This is nature versus synthetic nature. And it's, it's ultimately a battle between good and evil and we have to win it. We've got a question from Paul, but I'm going to fuse something into it for Jay. She, she's asking, uh, who's the head of the world elite that we know. Do you think, Jay, that Davos is just an instrument of the world elite and are the competing world elites, are the Chinese elites versus, uh, you know, Western elites? What, what's the theories there? So I would say Davos is really just kind of a front piece, a sort of a PR arm of uh, Bieberg. Uh, it comes out of the <clears throat> Bieberg group, which David Rockefeller in his memoirs has a whole chapter discussing the creation of that together with Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands, who was a member of the SS, as well as a lot of other um, uh, prominent families, black nobility in Europe and so forth. And so that's kind of a front thing for an inner steering committee. And that's all modeled on these older uh, Royal Society, Royal Institute for International Affairs steering committee groups that were set up 
uh, after the model of Cecil Rhodes's uh, Milner uh, uh, roundtable groups. So the roundtable groups basically are the model for what we see in the U.S. as the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission. And so Davos is really just one of those uh, <clears throat> steering committees. It's more public. It's kind of like a public face of all this. So that's why they invite a lot of Hollywood people over the years. Kevin Spacey was the king of Davos one year. Leonardo DiCaprio goes. So that's it's like a PR kind of public push. Um, but it does have, you know, a lot of influence, or at least it did, maybe it's starting to wane, uh, but that's, who's at the top of all this is that covert, uh, superstructure that was created out of, uh, World War One and World War Two by the corporate and banking elite, uh, known as the quote, deep state. It's the same thing. Uh, it, it's the same structure that was that Royal Society structure. And one thing I would add about the food is that the, uh, the controlling the food is an old ancient plan plato talked about in the republic that he said that to have the ideal city state which is run by by the way a secret society he says you need to have control of food supply and make sure that the proletariat the proles only eat you know grains and kibble whereas the elite they get a better more nutrient uh, uh nutrient uh, based diet mainly meat and bertrand russell in his uh, 1931 he's one of these fabian socialist royal society uh, uh technocrats who wanted to basically depopulate the earth in his uh, 1931 or two book scientific outlook he has a whole chapter where he says that the key to controlling the future will revolve around controlling the diet and make sure that everybody eats kibble they won't be eating meat anymore he wrote that in the 1930s and the elite will be eating real foods real meat and so that's that's the key here is that this is a, a an old plan being repurposed and retooled for a technocratic order all right charlie how do you perceive the structure of the world elite at the top yeah i mean i think jay nailed it yeah it's there's there's the public facing version right that, that that's allowed to interact with the media and cameras and, and whatnot and then there are those that benefit from remaining sort of in the shadows and ask these people to do their bidding for them it's very effective it's very effective for a variety of reasons. It gives the people that require cover, cover, allows them to stay back in the shadows. It allows them to use these cutouts to do their bidding for them. And when things go awry, and they all often do, almost always do, then these are disposable people. So you can get rid of them in a new batch of of um, egomaniacs are willing to step in and fill their place. So it's a very effective, um, if you're looking at, at this as like a business manufacturing component, it's very effective. You just have pieces that get worn out easily and you just constantly shuffle them through where the the more important pieces stay sort of, you know, hidden from behind. And and look, if they need to poke out and, and make their themselves known at some point, they will. But this is... The, the the pyramidal structure of things is there for a reason you know it works very it's very effective you get a you can get a, a vast majority of people down in the base layer and the lower levels that are doing all the work paying all the dues doing all that to be part of this group and they may never figure out what the group is all about because they never are able to get up to the top part of the of the of the pyramid so that just not just the organizations itself, but the the actual structuring of the organizations work very well to um, to allow those that want to remain hidden, hidden, and those that are are seeking something, whether that's wealth, fame, power. I don't know, you know, the things that 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 guys like Epstein could provide. You know, th th they'll get whatever they want. They, the rulers just need to know what it is that makes you what floats your boat. And then, you know, if it's fame and, and money, well, we got that, but you're going to have to work with us. You're going to have to work for us. And so these, we will see this, we see it now. We'll see it in the future. People that come and go, they get, they get used up. They go in looking one way, Yacinda Arden. They come out looking the other way, Yacinda Arden. You know, I mean, you see the toll that this takes on the human body. This is, if ever there was an advertisement to not become part of this global clique, it would be just taking a look at the before and after pictures of that woman and see what evil does to your soul. It literally kills you from the inside out. So 
play with that if you'd like, but I'm staying as far away from that. Uh... Two questions for David then. So your thoughts on the top of the structure of the pyramid and also Dali's asked, how do they keep themselves safe from the very conspiracy they're carrying out against the rest of us? Well, both of those questions are a, a podcast in themselves, but really good. Um, when I'm not sure if I read this out in the last uh, show, uh, the quote from Dr. John Coleman, who, and many of others have, have confirmed this, and Jay was mentioning it. There are these orders and organizations that have been around for a long time behind the throne. All right. This goes all the way back into history. It's just the structure of how these things work, where they put a public face towards the masses. They put public celebrities, um, politicians, you know, kings, queens, monarchs, whatever. That's always the public face. But we've known for a long time that there's always groups behind them, because obviously, strategically, if uh, you want to take power over land, resources and wealth, which is ultimately what this is about, then and especially if you want to do it illegitimately and illegally, then you don't want to be the person as the actual front of the entire thing. The mafia works like this. Organized crime works like this. The human trafficking networks in the world work like this, where you very rarely know who you're actually working for. Some guy pulls up in a van, passes you some cash, you get a job and you just work that job and then you come back and you get paid. That's how the criminal network operates. It also operates off things like blackmail and uh, you know they're offering the carrots on the stick. But there's also a deeper level to that because I think it's ultimately compartmentalized where when you're looking at some of these groups, like, like Coleman was mentioning the Order of St. John of Jerusalem, the Knights of Malta, which is one of the big groups that I'm looking at in Cult of the Medics. It's linked into the sort of, I call it the Dark Vatican, um, where that is age old. We want to get into conspiracy and espionage and intrigue and infiltration and asymmetric warfare. Look no further than the Holy Church of Rome, quote unquote, um, and nothing against anybody's personal faith. I'm talking about how these groups infiltrated the houses of light uh, where nobody would really suspect them. That's why it's the wolf in sheep's clothing. Shout out to the Fabian uh, you know, symbol there. Um, and so they operate in a place just like they do with the medical industry behind the places we trust. But really, there's a steering committee that's guiding the whole thing towards something. So you got your Order of St. John. You got Club of Rome, German Marshall Fund, Sassini Foundation, the Fabians, and the Venetian Black Nobility. So essentially, you got your aristocrats, your royal bloodlines, and these people, whether it's true or not, have a belief that they are sort of like the pure ones. They're the vicars. They're the stand-ins. Whether they're wearing the crown or the gown of a priest, they're really operating in the same fashion that they're using that power to wield over you. So if you're looking at the top, there's wild, there's it's speculative because a lot of us don't even really know. I've even got quotes from people like Giuseppe Mancini, who was an Italian uh, aristocrat who took the mantle of the actual Illuminati groups, the Bavarian Illuminati groups, uh, from people like Albert Pike and all these guys. And he said, there's something above us. There's something, uh, even us, the veterans of the secret societies, there's something that we can't even define or understand that's above us. And so I speculate and go, if this is so anti-human, if this is about altering humanity and nature from its natural organic state, are we at the tippy tippy top even dealing with something that we could define as human? And people can speculate and go, are we talking just some psychopaths that have no empathy? Are we talking interdimensional uh, demons, archons and spiritual forces? Are we talking about physical uh, just people from other planets that are more advanced? Uh, I'll let you speculate, but I think there's a connective tissue to all of this stuff. And uh, I'll leave it for people to, to look at it. But we know the structure is there. And then, um, you know, my job and our job here is to try to bring all, as best evidence forward as possible to say, okay, we're getting closer and closer to the top. Uh, Davos ranks very, very low, as do a lot of the groups we know. I think it goes well beyond them. And just for now, we'll leave it at that. As for this question about how do they keep themselves safe from various conspiracies they're carrying out against the rest of us, this would have been on the planning block from day one, obviously. Um, so uh, they are experts at this. This is an age old. They have access to knowledge that most of us don't have access to. And knowledge is power. And part of that knowledge is how to build civilization, how to build empire, how to build um, elite criminal organizations and networks. And if you have an agenda to say, like I've heard people say, well, if they're tainting all the food and water and air, aren't they eating the same food, water? Aren't they in inhaling the same air as us? Aren't they doing all of this? Um, these guys are, 
they they would have had all that stuff obviously figured out and uh they are trying to set it up so that they're changing the environment to actually suit the environment they prefer um and they obviously have those safeguards in place or otherwise they wouldn't be doing it it would be suicide so they're not going to be eating the same food as us they're not going to be uh they might even be genetically altering themselves so that they can actually um exist in the world that they're trying to create um but uh, you also have to remember that these people are insane they're 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 insane in in that level where what they're doing um the reason it seems crazy to us is because it is crazy it's because they are literally on a path of self-destruction uh whether they believe it or not they think they're just gaining power but i think they've kind of bit off more than they can chew and they may in fact suffer the karmic um reprisal of their actions uh, in more ways than just whether or not they're uh, going to be affected in the way we are from all the things they're doing so well, how do they keep themselves safe these are expert players in this game and uh they are you know 3d chess masters they know what they're doing and they've been at this for a long time and they have access to centuries of knowledge of human psychology the process of nature and how to build a successful uh conspiracy to take over the world so that's the best answer i got right now fantastic thanks Dave. what would you like to add to that jay yeah i think that the key here is to understand that we're up against um like he said millennia and centuries of passed down knowledge about <clears throat> how we how, how to rule man i think that a lot of these uh, structures a lot of these secret societies that go back the real uh art that they're involved in is controlling and ruling society and so there's secrets as he said that regard uh not just the secrets of nature that might pertain to technology but the secrets of governing man, man. and so when we go back for example to plato i make a big deal to lecture through and um, go through a lot of the writings of plato because the what we really see in both the republic and in his uh, later writings like the laws and the symposium is that these are secret society structures that are created for a philosophical and um, moral so, so called elite intellectual elite to trick and dupe everybody he even eventually calls it the council of nine which is this kind of inner inner core oligarchy that uses the noble lie to rule over everybody else in the society in that pyramidal structure if you look at the, the republic it's a pyramid and so that's the basic pattern and outline that has always existed for global imperiums or, or people trying to set up a global imperium throughout history, whether it's Egypt or Babylon or whoever. And so today's is different, not so much in the basic structure, but just that they've really figured out the techniques of technology uh, at a you know uh, an amazing level such that they want to try to impose this uh in covert ways and overt ways at the same time and it really is as klaus writes in the fourth industrial revolution the last third of that book is about imposing a synthetic rewrite of all reality and it sounds crazy to people that hear that what do you mean a synthetic rewrite of all reality i mean the whole third last third of the book is about changing you changing your dna it's about changing the external world uh, putting RFID, Internet of Things, nanotech everywhere, and then having that all linked into a satellite system, a sort of a, a Skynet type of system from Terminator, that all is interlinked to uh, big you know, supercomputers that basically run everything and run the whole world. And that's after this phase, as he talked about with uh, Prince Charles there, of this, quote, great reset that they want to have so bad. All that is is going back to what the previous platonist revolutionaries known as the illuminists or the jacobins said when they uh, instituted year one or year zero depending on which revolutionary group you're talking about in the french revolution it was year one so they, that's that was their great reset they really believed that i can wipe away everything that came before create an entirely new civilization but this time it's about getting rid of most people and setting up a new technocratic system that's the big difference here but it's the same model that the revolutionaries in France, that the revolutionaries, uh, even Pol Pot, Maoism, it's all the same type of revolution where you wipe away the past. And it's no, it's not accidental that they called it year zero, year one. And this is the great reset that's in pushing the reset on, on the calendar there uh, to create a new society, a new civilization. And so that's why it's the, the new, it's the fourth industrial revolution, right? It's, it's this meaning the, new civilization that will not be like anything else that came before because it's post-human that's the key to understand 
So in this technological society, Charlie, we've got a question from Tony. Um, what's the situation with your phone and devices getting spied on? How does that fit into all this? I've got a really great firsthand story to tell you about this. So um, <laughs> I live in Denver. Our football team is the Broncos. Our rival is the Kansas City Chiefs. My wife has a dream one night that she bought a new car, which was true. She'd, she'd bought a car a couple weeks earlier. But in this dream, she bought a car and she bought a Chiefs car that was like, all decked out really well done, but it had like embroidery in the seats. And it had, you know, when you open the door, there's this little feature that you'll find on some like high end cars where they'll, it'll, the, the light will, pr- will shoot out like a little logo onto the ground underneath you, you know? And like when she opened the car door, it put the chief's logo there. She couldn't make sense of it. Right. And it turned into this running joke in our house that I'm like, well, you know, you picking up our daughter I'm like make sure you're in the chief's car today you know like it just turned into this kind of running joke and she had to retell her uh we had dinner with her mom and stepdad and we were explaining this to her or to, to the family we were so we had to tell the story again all over again and then the following day my wife comes walking into my office she's holding up her phone she goes take a look at this and she goes look at these ads that i'm getting the ad she was getting on her, on Facebook on her phone were Kansas City Chiefs logo, a an actual Kansas City Chiefs logo that thing that light that goes on your car door that does put the the logo on the ground. We just speculated that it existed. I mean, I've seen it for like Infinity or Lexus or some cars makers, but I've never seen it for your favorite team. So in my head, it was it didn't exist. The list, the the ads that she was presented with were identical to the things that were in the car. And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, Facebook is on the record saying that they have invested in brain mapping technology, that they are looking to try and understand how people think. They're trying to read your mind. And to me, it had always been like theoretical, like, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I know. They, they know what we're looking for and they know what we're searching for and they can make a calculation based on that. It's much deeper than that. Your phone is listening to you. If you tell a crazy story, you may wind up with um, targeted ads that reflect that story. Or if you don't own a cat, but you just start talking about cat food to your cell phone for the next couple of days, you will get cat food ads on your feed. So that's where we're going. So so, so to answer your question about like how, you know, the spying of the, the cell phone technology, it's very real. It's, it's happening all the time. I mean, th- this, this, this technology that we carry around in our pockets is a double-edged sword. I mean, we have all the information in the world at our fingertips. Not, not all of it is accurate, of course, but, but the trade-off is that we lose our privacy. We lose, we lose a lot. And, and these companies have no problem monetizing that for their own benefit. So, David, are we being spied on through our devices in an Orwellian fashion? Well, they're admitting it, Sean. Um, real recent story is out of Canada where we discovered that our government admitted, this was even in mainstream news, um, that the government admitted that they were spying on Canadian citizens without their knowledge or consent for the entire uh, pandemic operation. Uh, that just came out recently. And um, that was to track your movement, to track your behavior, to track uh, I think they're trying to monitor this situation as it unfolds by monitoring us. And um, I think that more and more of that's going to start to come out as all the Twitter files are dropping and more of this is coming forward, just how deep this goes with. And when we say government, I'm specifically looking at the what I call the cult of intelligence. Uh, that was the name that Victor Marchetti came out with with his book called The Cult of Intelligence, which was uh, one of the first censored books by Congress before it was released. And he exposed from the inside just how deep the rabbit hole goes with the CIA. And I did a whole coverage of this in Chapter 8 of Cult of the Medics, uh, where we jump into the history of these intelligence organizations, which have always served the elite classes. Um, and so they're looking for surveillance so that they can, number one, keep make sure you know you're being tracked they they don't mind that you know 
it starts off as, uh, oh, we're, we might think about doing it, even though they're actually doing it already. And then they come and go, yeah, yeah, we were doing it. We were surveilling you against your knowledge and consent, breaking all your constitutional protections and privacy laws. But but it was for the greater good, guys. We're trying to reset the world here. So uh, they're they're getting us used to it. I think this is part of the social conditioning on one sense is they're getting it, getting us used to the Orwellian surveillance state on steroids. Um, but another aspect of this that I want to bring in really quickly is when I started researching cults and serial killers and just the pattern of criminal psychology, if we're dealing at the top, okay, because there's a lot of little useful idiots down the chain that are just, they think they're helping, but at the top, these people are psychopaths, okay? And if you study uh, how some of these serial killers would track their prey, right, part of the ritual, part of the expression of that, that inner darkness of these psychos was the joy of hunting their prey. They wanted to know everything about it. They wanted to get to know the victim intimately. Um, if you get into these Dahmers and, and, and Berkowitzes and all these guys. And so there was a mechanism of sort of like a twisted pleasure, uh, you know, that, that they got from surveilling their target, tracking their target, learning as much as they could about it. Because the more they learned about their target, they would say they felt like they were consuming them through that process. They felt like they were taking ownership over that person through that process because they had the advantage of being the predator in the dark and that person didn't know they were there. And so I'm just bringing that in as a possible way for another sick, twisted motive that at least at the top, I'm not saying everybody, but at the top, that they look at this as a game of cat and mouse. They look at it as a grand chessboard. And it's also, remember, these people are very ritualistic in their beliefs. If they're part of these ancient cult systems and they have this worldview that we've sort of been hinting at here, that I believe they do, um, they are using this as a part of the ritual of bringing in this state of control, making sure that the prey animals, which is us, are aware of this to a certain degree. <clears throat> and then ultimately, they're also bringing all that information back to train AI, to train this new system so that when the AI comes on, they've got so much data from real everyday human beings that they can program that into the entire matrix, uh, Tron matrix system. Thank you. We're almost out of time, guys. I might just, there's a few more questions outstanding. I could put perhaps go around a little bit, but if you could just keep your answers to a minute or less, I know it's going to be sure. almost impossible. Um, Jay, thoughts on music festivals and MK Ultra? Yeah, I, I mean, we've I, we've done a few podcasts speculating on this. I don't have any direct evidence of like a, you know, CIA document where they were studying music festivals. But I do know that the essentially the 60s counterculture movement was suffused with uh, people from military intelligence, people from the CIA, <clears throat> the Congress of Cultural Freedom. You can look up uh, Timothy Leary's quotes uh, himself on youtube where he says you can thank the cia for the whole 60s counterculture so i would venture to assume it's pretty it's a pretty safe bet that uh the rave scene which developed you know, in, in the 80s and 90s probably def had you know some tavistock uh, research and, and and uh influence going on there i certainly wouldn't say that everybody was involved in it but probably by the time we get to these big music festivals i mean a lot of them are promoting you know the notion of globalization trance global all this kind of stuff i'm a i was a big fan of electronic music so you know i, I can speak from seeing a lot of that um but i don't know that everybody's necessarily like directly involved in you know intentionally being a globalist i think it was just kind of part of that ethos and i sean you would know all about that as well yeah, thank you for that. Um, Charlie, Jen Hopkins, my wonderful co-host, has asked, so what is above us? You mean on the pyramid of the hierarchy chain? I don't know. I mean, I think that's what she's asking, yeah. Machine is elves, a, maybe? Aliens? <laughs> aliens? How, how far down the DMT rabbit hole do we want to go? I don't know. <laughs> is it all love and, and peace? Is there some nefarious <laughs> players? I don't... I'll tell you what. Here's the thing. I... I I wouldn't pretend to have it all figured out. I have been down those paths with uh, psychedelics. I have, I have witnessed and felt like I was a part of something outside of myself. Um, my little brain can't process it all. I don't know. I don't know if I would believe it, even if I, if someone told me how it all worked, you know, my, my paranoia <laughs> of these things goes, runs a little deep too. So I don't know. I don't know what's above us, but there's a, everybody's got a boss, right? So one, one minute, David, to talk about Elon Musk's neural link. 
Um, sure. W real quick, what is above us? It's the stars. Start there, and uh, we'll work our way back. Um, Elon Musk. We did this last time, I think, um, really quick. He's an interesting character. I don't have a final opinion on it. I'm actually just witnessing this unfold where he seemed to be, years ago, remember, he, he said he had a belief that there was a, he had a lot of concerns about the coming in AI, right? The, the advent of AI. And he thought that it was going to outcompete humanity. And that really the only solution because of how dumbed down everybody is and how unaware we are of how far along they are and also how far along they are, that the only way was to somehow meet in the middle and start to modify human beings so that we could compete with AI so we don't get wiped out. That was what he was saying is like he came to a point where he thought it was a big threat, but then uh, we have to do something or otherwise like we're at a point where we can't return. That was his belief. So there's two ways of looking at that. Oh, he's just another member of this big grand conspiracy um, and he's just trying to push his brain chips and all that kind of stuff. Or it's just literally a disagreement that I would have with him or others would have with him that the only way to deal with this is to literally like become part of the Borg in a way. Um, other people would say that the brain chips are really only designed for medical pr purposes, which is always a great sales pitch uh, for obviously other applications. Um, but then other people would say that Elon was originally sort of controlled by some of these behind the scenes networks and was a part of a lot of these things, but he was sort of an unwilling or unwitting agent. And um, certain things had happened where he got better deals from other places that he has now been able to start actually fighting back in the way he always wanted to. This is just one theory. Um, and that, that's why all of a sudden he's taken over Twitter. He's uh, bringing back free speech. He's actually speaking openly about the Davos thing and the World Economic Forum. Um, and some very, very interesting things coming from Elon. And now we're allowed to go back on Twitter and speak to millions of people about all this stuff. So um, I'll let everybody decide if they think he's a white hat, a black hat, a gray hat, or a pink hat. I don't even know. But he's an interesting character. And either way, what something around Elon Musk and this whole Twitter thing is important. That's all I know. And we just have to watch it and use it as an opportunity. And hopefully the truth will come out about all of this and we'll figure out who's really behind it all and where everybody uh, sits on all these issues. Right, we have totally run out of time. Huge thank you to all of our guests. All of their links are in the description box below this video. What a fantastic first hour. Thanks to our powerhouse guests and you viewers of all your questions. We salute Charlie Robinson, David thank Whitehead, you. Jay Dyer. Thank you so much, guys. Can't wait to see you again. You take care. Thank Thanks, you. Sean. Thanks, boys. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye.